Welcome to this week's Dividend Cafe podcast, recording from New York City on Thursday night, and we will be uh, wrapping up the first week of October in the markets tomorrow, and then uh, we will be concluding our trip out here. Dea, our portfolio analytics and trading director, and myself have been out in New York for about 10 days. Come Saturday, we'll be heading home after more meetings Saturday uh, at the end of the day. Look forward to being back in the home office on Monday. But in the meantime, we do have a kind of shorter podcast this week because we do want to kind of give you a a fuller version once we've had a chance to really kind of process everything from this week. Uh, It has been an unfathomable amount of meetings and uh, truly uh, invigorating conversation with some of our key portfolio management partners, both in the alternative investments and traditional stock and bond investment categories. So um, we, our investment strategy committee will be meeting Monday morning and working through some key decision points. Um, there the, really is extraordinary times in the capital markets, and we look forward to sharing more with you uh, next week. But for, for now, a couple things that we'll share um, you know, we, we talk a lot about the defensive buffer that dividends provide, even in times of distress, and how our aim as dividend growth zealots is to avoid a reduction of dividend income generated by our holdings, even in times of recession or market correction. And for all the talk about stock buybacks accomplishing what dividends accomplish, a way of returning cash to shareholders, The harsh reality is that stock buybacks often can collapse during times of distress, um, even as dividend payments are prone to continue. And there's a chart in DividendCafe.com this week that really shows the the volatility up and down of how stock buybacks function in line with economic health, whereas dividend growth can tend to be a much straighter line. So the dividend growers not only achieve shareholder alignment with management um, and they provide better focus on fundamentals like free cash flow, but they also are more sustainable during the times we care about such things. What a difference a year makes. MLPs, the oil and gas pipeline companies uh, set up as uh, tax structured limited partnerships, They finished September up 1.9%, despite a challenging market. The S&P was down last month. A year ago, MLPs were down a painful 15% in the month of September. So that was two positive quarters in a row for MLPs. They're up 16% as an index year to date and up over 40% from the February bottom. Last year at this time, MLPs were in the midst of an all-time record six negative quarters in a row. Q3 last year was down 22%. We don't know exactly where things go from here, but we know that our focus on the higher quality companies in the oil and gas space and our adding to positions on weakness has been of great benefit. We look forward to monetizing the ongoing energy infrastructure needs of our great country. What a difference two years makes. On the other hand, One would have thought the announcement of a coordinated oil production cut with OPEC would have made oil prices move even higher last week. One of the big differences between 2016 and 2014 when oil was at its last big high is that Russia has so dramatically ramped up their production that the impact of OPEC's 
production cut is slightly lower on the margin. Well, secondly, efficiency and productivity has so improved the costs are lower and yields are higher. There's more supply out of wells at a lower production cost. I would also add that market actors take everything OPEC says with a grain of salt until they see it come to fruition. The only protection may be in something no one ever thought of. If we go into a point where the entire market is troubled, there are usually few places to hide. The world is down on hedge funds right now, and often for all the wrong reasons. Commodities tend to be pro-cyclical with the economy, especially during recessions. If we do have a recession in the next 12 to 24 months, it is likely to involve a dollar rally, not dollar weakness, meaning that gold would likely be hammered and not a protective hedge. Because interest rates are so low, bonds are unlikely to be reverse correlated to stocks as they traditionally would be. So we could face a scenario where those various asset classes are all troubled. While the protection of idiosyncratic alternatives may not be popular, they may be a very, very wise idea for pursuit of absolute returns in the next phase of markets. Their relative unpopularity only enhancing that truth. But as for our dividend stock portfolio, there may be incredible protection in this simple pursuit. Finding high quality companies with defensive balance sheets and also monopolistic competitive advantages that generate free cash flow. Those are the likely protective investments. And yes, someone out there actually has thought of this. Where there might be greatest opportunity for growth of dividend in the years ahead, in the places most growing earnings that also happens to be presently paying out the least percentage of them. And that happens to be emerging markets. There's an incredible chart reflecting some of this at DividendCafe.com. I'm going to leave it there for the week. It's a short podcast just because of all the meetings we've been in um, and, and our desire to prepare some more formal summaries for you of all that is sort of transpired in our 45 meetings out here in the city of the last 10 days. Thank you very much for listening to Dividend Cafe. We look forward to talking again next week.